So this morning, um, I have we're going to finish this series on conversations with God. It is intended to be a three-part series, and uh, it began that way, and I had a plan for it to be that way, and uh, God has kind of interrupted my plan a little bit. Um, if you remember the series we began, we talked about prayer in general and having this converse, this open dialogue and conversation with God, and, and then we talked about the following week, the, the teachings of Jesus on how to pray and how that Lord's Prayer can be broken down and how it can impact your life practically. And, and I don't know about you, but I fully enjoyed that time and that message. I just, it just sat in my spirit for a while. And then last week we talked about when it seems like heaven is silent. And, um, and it's interesting because when I was praying this week, it's been a busy, crazy week, you know, with Thanksgiving, and hopefully everybody had, I trust everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving with your family, and, and hopefully you didn't overindulge in too much gluttony. Um, I think that's a, a sin that folks forget about, is let me eat until I can't move. Um, but hopefully we didn't indulge in too much of that, but uh, with the busyness of the week, I, spent, I, I made sure, I wanted to make sure I spent a lot of time with the father, because I knew I was going to be busy as well, and my in-laws were in town, and um, and that was ended up being a great visit. But in my prayer time, I felt like God had actually said to me, "Seriously, Mike, you're gonna leave it with silence?" And I was like, um, "Not if you don't tell me to." And so I figured the only way to wrap up this message in this series in part four is to talk about answered prayer to talk about when God speaks and answers the things in which we've called for. And so, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk today about answered prayer. And I'm going to, if you like the Word of God, then that's a good thing because I'm going to be all over it this morning. And so if you have a notepad, be sure to write. If you took a, if you brought, if you got this sheet of paper with the notes in it, that'll help keep you on track. And, um, and maybe even keep me on track, we'll never know. But uh, my pastor, my pastor told me once when I, when I was praying, and I, I was praying, he said to me, he said, you know what, he says, I, I want to encourage you to take something to write with and write on, whether it be a notepad or today's technology, you've got notes in your phone or your iPad, because God's invariably, he's going to speak something to your heart, and you are human, and you will forget what he said. I don't know about you, but I've been, there's been times that I've prayed and I feel like God's spoken something into my heart and I'm like, man, that is so good. Man, God, you are good. That is so good. And I'm like, man, that's going to that's gonna change me. That's how good that was. And then two days later, I can't remember what it was. That was so good. That's going to change me. Maybe I'm the only one who's absent-minded that way. Um, but so I have changed my process to always having something to write down on, whether it's handwrite or the notes on my phone. If you're a distracted type personality, don't use your phone because chances are you'll be hearing from Facebook, not God, in your time. But uh, so this morning, when we, as we talk about answered prayer, I, I, I pondered the thought of what is prayer to some folks? I believe some people call prayer their quiet time. And oftentimes I think when we call it our quiet time, it can get really quiet as in we're not even speaking. Some consider it this good feeling towards a cause. Anybody ever see someone post on Facebook, send me your good feeling, your good thoughts and your good vibes? And, and that's never me. 
If I have a need, I want you to pray. I don't care about your vibe nor your thought. I want your prayer. I want you bombarding heaven for my situation. Um, some even impassioned people cry out for help to whoever is out there. And most people, I believe, on some level have trouble with prayer. And then we look at scriptures like 1 Thessalonians 5.17 where it says that we're supposed to pray without ceasing. It's like, wait a minute, I have a hard enough time praying for five or ten minutes. Now you want me to pray without ceasing? And so we have all these, these challenges. And hopefully this series has been about making prayer work, making it practical and engaging in its power. And hopefully today we'll kind of wrap some of that stuff up. So Jeremiah chapter 33, verse number three is the initial proof text for this message that answered prayer. And the Bible says, call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. So just leave that passage up there for a second. He says, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. So here's, the, here's something I want to give you from this passage of scripture really quickly is we're going to go a little bit backwards from the end to the beginning. You have to realize that you don't know everything, okay? You don't know everything. Contrary to your own opinion, you don't know everything. There are things that you do not know. And what are these things? These things are great and unsearchable. The word unsearchable in the original context literally means things you could not possibly know without divine inspiration from God. So you can study all you like, you can read all you want, you can have all the experience and vast knowledge of this world, yet there's still going to be things that you could never know because God's not revealed them to you. So he's saying, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things. So but we have, there's a part that we play in this. We have to call to him. That word call in the original language means to cry out to God. That means there has to be a voice, an audible sound attached to it, that it's not just... Someone asked you, what are you doing? I'm crying out to God. No. That, that word call has, an, it's a literally an action with an audible sound attached to it where I cry out to God. And then he says, I will answer you. See, now... The problem when we read this scripture in English is we think I will answer me, answer you means yes. God, I need a new job. Yes. God, I need money. Yes. God, I need perfect health. Yes. God, I need everything technological in my life to work. Yes. I need, yes, 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 yes. We think an answer to our call is a yes. And the reality is that's not what the word means. The word answer means I will hear and I will move. That's what it means. I will hear and I will move. The problem with that is that his hearing and his moving are never when we want it. It's never how we want it. And it's almost never what we want it to be. However, it's always going to be the unsearchable and great things that he has spoken. So that's a passage of scripture that kind of turned my life a little bit upside down this week. And I believe a lot of people have stopped praying because they feel like they've received no answers. And so I had to question myself, and I've asked, me, I've asked myself this question many times. 
sometimes through my own insecurity, sometimes in frustration, sometimes just in curiosity. But I asked the question, why should God even answer my prayer? What is it about me that God should even answer my prayer? I mean, God created everything. You're the creator of heaven and earth. I mean, I mean I'm insignificant compared to all of creation. I'm insignificant compared to the heavens. I'm insignificant compared to the earth. I'm just, why would you even answer my prayer? What is it about me that you would answer my prayer? And the challenge to that question is, how we ask it. Like I said, I've asked it in frustration and I've asked it in insecurity and I've asked it in all other types of ways. But 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 tells us that we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. See, so we, we have to be mindful of the tone and the motivation to the question that we ask of why God should answer my prayer. Because the reality is, according to 1 John, we have confidence that he hears us. We have confidence that he hears us whenever we ask for anything. There's a catch that pleases him. So what is the secret to getting God's ear? There's, a, there's, this, there's this overwhelmingly resounding secret to getting God's ear. And here's what it is. Ask according to his will. Now, you have to be careful with that because sometimes we ask for things he's already promised us and then tagline, if it's your will. It's his will because he promised us. There are many, many promises, and we're going to get to that in just a minute. I don't want to get ahead of myself. There are many promises in scripture that you can just say amen to and so be it rather than if it be your will. And so we're going to get to that in just a moment. So let's see what we can learn. See, one of the best ways I've ever learned about prayer and how that it works is studying prayers in the Word. Studying the way people prayed in God's Word. And so today we're going to do that for just a few moments. We're going to break down a powerful man of God's prayer in the book of Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah was this zealous young man who had this passion for rebuilding the walls that protected the city. And he felt like this is something God had called him to do, that he absolutely must fulfill this regardless of anything. And he was facing battle on the outside. He was facing battle on the inside. He was facing all these people around him that wanted nothing to do with him doing what he was called to do. Anybody ever feel that way before? Fought and battled on the outside, battled on the inside, and then all around you are people who think that you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. This is Nehemiah. And so this is what he says in chapter 1, verse 5. I'm going to read 5 through 11, and then we're going to break some things down and what we can learn about prayer according to Nehemiah. So Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. should be up on the screen for you as well. It says, Then I said, O Lord... God of heaven, the great and unfailing, I'm sorry, great, let me start that over, skip the line. Oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer, he exclaims. There's an exclamation point at the end of that. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. 
Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Verse number eight, please remember what I told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. Dude, that passage right there, verse number nine, should just, just be enough motivation to live for Christ. Then verse number 10, the people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. That was the prayer of Nehemiah. Not super eloquent a speech, not having this specific motive, and then even said, grant me success today, God. We've come up with this idea and thought that asking God for success in prayer is not biblical or it's not holy or it's not righteous or somehow it makes everything about me and that's not what God wants. But as I read through scripture here, and I can give you many, many other stories of people calling out and crying out to God and asking for success. One of the ones I think of that is one of my most favorite stories is Joshua in the battle when daylight was coming to an end and he needed more time to defeat his enemy. And he said, God, would you hold the sun up in the sky just a little bit longer so I can win this battle? That is ridiculous. Are you kidding me? You want, and here's the thing you have to understand about prayer. We don't have to have this all figured out perfectly because, me, because Joshua didn't even understand science when he asked God for that request. Because he said, well, you hold the sun up in the sky. It's not the sun that moves. It's the earth that moves. But he didn't even have that information scientifically and just said, God, I need more sun. I, I want to I whoop the tail of these folks that are trying to come against your people, and I need more sun to do it. So hold it up there a little longer. Didn't even have to have the right language. Didn't even have the right scientific understanding, but had to have the heart that would call out to God and ask for something that he needed, that he knew God wanted to give him because it was already promised. Joshua wasn't just making up something because he wanted to win. That land, everything would have been promised to the children of Israel. And he said, this is what I need. I need you to activate your promise so that I can have what you've already said I can have. Ain't nothing wrong with praying like that, folks. There's no, God, you, you said that I could, you know, I could, I could have this. And if it be your will, and if you would be kind and gracious enough, could I? No. Will you please get up off of the couch? And will you please storm the gates of hell for what God had already promised you? Start calling out his name and saying, God, this is what you've promised me. You promised me that my household would serve you. So let's do this. Let's get on this level together. So here's, here's what I'm going to give you from this, these 11 verses of Nehemiah. And these are, these are in your notes. The very first one is Nehemiah, he based his request on God's character. He based his request on God's character. Look what he says. Oh Lord God of heaven and gr the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love. 
Very, sounds a little similar to Jesus' teaching on our Father who art in heaven, right? Oh, Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love. He's calling out already on the character of God as he begins to base, bring his request. So you have to base your request on who he is. Brag on God a little bit. Brag on who he is. Brag on what he's done in your life and what he's done in the lives of other folks. Because that's, to get, that's his character. Start by telling him, by telling your prayer requests. I mean, do you, here's the thing. We have this mentality of bringing my prayer requests to God and telling God what I need rather than going and telling what I need the God that I have. Let me, let me rephrase that. Sometimes we go through such a struggle in life that we come brokenhearted and beat down to the throne of God and, and we, we can barely muster the strength to speak. Rather than do that, how about we go back to our anxiety, our depression, our stress, our financial woes, our broken relationships and says, do you have any idea how big my God is? There is just a perspective change. Somebody comes at me and says, hey, you can't do this. Like, what are you, crazy? You have any idea how big my God is? If I don't do it, it's because either I got lazy or God didn't want me to do it. It's got nothing to do with what you say. But that's what we do. We internalize all this stuff on the outside. And then when we approach God, we approach God with this, this timidity. And then we're questioning why hasn't he answered? My question is, have you really asked? I mean, don't talk to God about your problems. Talk to your problems about your God. That's, that's the way, this is, this, is, this is now going into a whole nother realm of let me see God move and act on my behalf. Mark, Mark said it like this in chapter 10, verse 27. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Do we have that mentality when we approach him and, and to pray and to speak to him? That everything is impossible. Everything is impossible with us, but it's all possible with you. Everything that I'm going through, I can't, I can't, I can't muster the strength I don't have, but I know that you can. I know that it's possible with God. Do we have that mentality? The second thing that Nehemiah did in this verse is he confessed the weakness of his life. Look at what he said in verse number six. Oh, verse six up on the screen for me. Look at what he says. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. He confessed his own wrongdoings. He confessed his own sin. He confessed his own weaknesses in life. See, we don't talk about weaknesses. Let me tell you. I, I, I've gotten, everybody knows this. At this point, I am the uh, full-time direct marketing director at Chick-fil-A. One of my additional roles in that job is I do all the very first interviews of everyone who's hired, with the exception of people who I know and have a relationship with. I'm not interviewing them. I pass them on. And so, uh, but I do all these first-time interviews, and one of the questions I always ask is, tell me what your strengths are. And every single person, 100% across the board, can tell me two, three, four, five things that they believe are their strengths that they can do. Then I say to them, tell me your weaknesses. And then I don't speak. And it's crickets. Almost, I could, honestly, if I had to put it to a percentage of, the, of 100 people, one will tell me their weaknesses. One will say what they're not good at. Because we don't naturally want to speak of what we're weak in. 
We don't naturally want to speak of what we don't do well. We just want to puff our chest up and say, well, this is what I do well. You know, when I talk to people all the time, people call me, like I, I, I seek out coaching from time to time. I have mentors in my life. And the questions they always ask me is like, the very first question isn't what are my strengths? They ask me, what are you not good at? And I just tell them, man, I suck at communication. Man, I suck at administration. And they just laugh and they're like, man, you're just like real about it because I'm not good at it. I'm not foolish enough to think that I am. And so I, it, there's, there's this power that comes in boasting and confessing our weaknesses. We have to have this honest appraisal of who we are. We have to, we have, to have this honest moment of who we are and the mistakes that we've made and the weaknesses we have in our everyday life, not just the sin we may have done once or twice, but the weaknesses that we have consistently because it's not just the sin that keeps us from God. It's what is in me that keeps pulling me towards that sin. I don't know about you. Maybe you guys are so much better than me, and that's okay if you are. I would welcome that. But if I have an issue, there's usually like something in me that keeps pulling at me towards this one specific issue. I don't get pulled towards 4,000 types of sin. There's always something that draws me. There's always something that pulls me. And there's something in me that pulls me. It's not just the sin. It's there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a weakness in me that if I'm not willing to confess, not just to people in, in and around me for healing and forgiveness, but also to God himself, if I'm not willing to confess those weaknesses, then I'm going to have a hard time seeing him move on my behalf in those weaknesses because it's in our weakness that God's strength is made perfect. It's not in our strength, it's our weakness. We see God move more in our weakness than we ever will our strength. It's just like life. When things are going well, guess what you're learning? Nothing. It's okay. It's the way it is. You're going, things are going well. Everything is high and mighty, and I'm like, life is good. And then when things start to dip, and you start to suffer, and you start to hurt, and you start to be in pain, you start to, that's, that's where you begin to grow the most. That your suffering is where you go. When you're going through something is when you're growing. If you're not going through anything, you're not growing. God's just giving you a little bit of grace to coast a little bit maybe. Maybe he's saying, you know what? You've been through a lot. I'm going to give you a little bit of time to breathe. Because some more is about to come your way. And without me, you're not going to be able to handle it. And so we have to be able to confess our weaknesses. Because we have to understand that our help comes from him alone. So stay desperate and dependent on him. James chapter 4 verse 6 says like this, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It is pride that keeps you from confessing your weaknesses. That's all it is. It's, it's my pride. People sit across, well, you know what? I, one person actually said, I'm really not weak at anything. I was like, whoo, we're not hiring this person. Because it's a pride in them. To say, I'm not weak. I'm strong. I can handle it. The third thing that Nehemiah did in his conversation with God here is he claimed the promises of God. He claimed the promises. Look at verse number eight. He says, please remember what you told your servant Moses. <laughs> I love the language. God, will you remember this, please? Did you forget? I think you forgot this. You told your servant Moses, and what did you say? You told your, if your servant Moses, if you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. He says, if you're unfaithful to me, I'll scatter you among the nations. But look at verse number nine. He says, he goes on, but if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen 
for my name to be honored. He has to claim the promise of God. I mean, actually, it reminds, it, it, actually reminding God of something he told Moses, really? Like, God, I don't know if you forgot about this, but uh, can I help you out? Help you remember. Maybe jog your memory. Maybe there's something in what I'm about to say that will jog your memory. People don't want to pray like that because they think, well, God already knows. God knows what I'm going to say before I say it, so what's the point in saying it? It's a valid point. Go ahead and live that way. Let me know how it works out for you. <laughs> you have to understand that you can claim the promises. If Nehemiah did it then, you can do it today. Because if, ne- if God wanted to hear it then, he wants to hear it today. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever, so he wants to hear it from you. Did he forget? No. Here's what this does. Qu- the, standing on the promises and praying the promises of God reminds us. It doesn't remind him, it reminds us. I don't know about you, but sometimes in life you get a little beat down, you forget that you're chosen. You forget that you're a royal priesthood, or you forget that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. You forget that you're the apple of his eye, or the head and not the tail. We forget these things in life, and so when we speak these things as to who we are and what he's promised, it actually reminds us there are over 7,000 promises in the Bible waiting to be claimed. They're waiting for you to claim them. They're not doing anything but waiting for you. Come on, over 7,000 of them. You're battling with something? Go to 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, Luke 10, 19, Romans 8, 37, and he will tell you that you have defeated the enemy and you've won that battle. You need money? You got money issues? Anybody got money issues? Go to Philippians chapter 4, 19, and Psalm 1, 1 through 3. You'll find out that he has everything, owns everything, and he's already given it to you. Now, don't go naming and claiming it. That's not what I'm preaching. Don't say that I did. But God wants you blessed even financially. You're dealing with fear? Ooh. Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my stronghold. Of whom shall I fear? These are promises of God, over 7,000 of them. Sickness? Psalm 103, verse 3. Bless the Lord who heals my diseases. I can go on and on and on and on and preach until next Sunday and still can't preach all the promises in the Bible. They're just waiting for you to activate them in your life. Numbers chapter 23, verse number 19 actually says, God is not a man, so he does not lie. <laughs> Remember what I said? You can learn a lot from the Bible for what it says and what it doesn't say. God is not a man, so he does not lie. We are mankind, so we lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. We are human, we change our mind. Every single day. Some of y'all change your mind like I change my socks. I change my socks a couple times a day. Some of y'all change your mind more than that. Then he goes on to say, he, has, he never, has he ever spoken and failed to act? Remember, he's not human. He's not flesh. So he cannot speak and not act. We can speak and not act. We have a whole lot of folks running their yaps. Ain't doing nothing, but they run in their mouth. And then he says, has he ever promised and not carried it through? Have we ever promised? Yes, we are human. See, these are the very differences between us and God. We promise and fail to meet. We run our mouth and don't act. Come on, we lie, we cheat, we steal, we change our minds. God can't do any of those things. So if he spoke it, it's done. Get to know the promises of the Bible. Need help? Let me help you. Ready? Google 7,000 promises of God. You will find, a, they'll find them all. It's amazing the internet works. 
I don't know what, folks actually, I can't imagine how hard it was for some folks when there was no internet. I'm trying to remember because there was no internet when I was in high school and I had to do research papers. And I remember books everywhere. I got to do this 12-page paper on a stupid book and I have to do all this stuff and I need like 12, pa- I need 12 books to do 12 pages. Now I just need this. Where is that? Oh, there it is. But you got to be careful. Not everything on the internet's true. Some of y'all believe it's true just because it's there. Anyway, that's a whole other message. We'll get past that. Number four, the fourth thing Nehemiah did in this conversation with God is found in verse number 11. He was very specific in what he asked for. Don't be generic with God. Don't be general with God. God is specific. You be specific. God is so specific that the Bible says the hairs on your head are numbered. The hairs on your head are numbered. That's how specific God is. So for some of us, your head got no more numbers. For some like me, there's a few less that he's got to know because they keep falling out. But that's how specific God is. He's so specific that you know he created people, and there are some people out there in this world that have one eye that's blue and one eye that's green. That's pretty specific. How do I know that's true? Because my daughter has that. One is blue, one is green. It's weird. But that's how specific he is. So if he's specific in the way he created us, why are we so generic and vague when we speak to him? Let's be specific. You don't want me to be specific this morning. I'll make some of y'all never come back to church. He says, oh, Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. Hey, would you help me help him remember who I was in the days when he knew me well and let him have favor on me? Because I got this wall to build, God. You told me to build this wall. Now I got this king that won't let me build the wall. Will you kind of change his mind and help him to let me build the wall? That's pretty specific prayer. If you know the rest of the story, you know the wall got built. But see, you can't just pray your will. You have to pray something specific. He asked us to ask him. He asked us to call to him. He asked us to speak to him. So let's do it specifically. You have to position yourself properly to experience answered prayer. You have to position. It's all about positioning. You know, the way Nehemiah prayed, it sounds like, okay, this guy's got something figured out. He positioned himself to be, have his prayers answered. So here's what I'm going to do. The rest of my time that I have this morning, I'm going to give you five very practical and I believe very powerful things that help you position yourself to truly experience God in answered prayer. Um, It's all about positioning. I want you to position yourself in a posture that you can receive from God what it is that you need that he's already promised you that for some reason is not happening. So let's go a little bit deeper today. The real question I want you to ask and ponder today is the rest of the time I have with you is, does God promise to answer everyone's prayer? Hmm. Quick yeses. Sorry to tell you, the answer is no. It's very clear in Scripture that God completely ignores some people's prayers. In fact, the Bible says that God has laid out some conditions to answered prayer. Because until you meet these conditions for answered prayer, it's, you're going to be like a cell phone with no service. I had, um, yesterday I had, I had to work in the early afternoon. I had to deliver a catering over to the Peoria Civic Center for the Georgia Southern 
men's basketball team. They just lost to Bradley, and it kind of was a damper, a damper moment for them in the locker room, and it felt kind of heavy in there. I was kind of glad to get out. thought it would be kind of cool, but if they would have won, it would have been cool. But they lost, so it was, they were all frustrated. But, um, but as, I enter, as, I, as I'm entering in, I'm, I'm on the phone with the guy who placed the order, and I'm letting him know, hey, I'm here. I'm getting ready to come into the garage because at the Peoria Civic Center, there's an underground garage that allows you access backstage behind where locker rooms and all that stuff is. And so, so I'm about to come into the garage, and I will meet you. Eh. second I went down under the ground, the door closed. I had no service. So I no longer could speak to him. I no longer had access to him. That's how it is with God. If we are, find ourselves living in a condition, now I'm not talking about you've made a few mistakes in life. I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about lifestyle sin, lifestyle choices. We find ourselves living in this position. We have no service when it comes to our communication with God. You know, I can scream into this phone all day long, but if there are no bars, there's no one on the other side hearing me. And so that's how that works with God. So now here is going to be the challenge, the greatest challenge of this entire message series is going to take place over the next 10 minutes because it's what I call introspection time. I like that word, introspection time. You can only expect in life what you inspect in yourself. Let me say that again. You can only expect in life what you inspect within yourself. And you have every right to expect that what you ask God for will be answered. But you can't expect that without inspecting yourself first. So here's the first one. And the first blank in your notes says you must forgive others. You can do everything we've taught and it won't work if you're bitter. You can do everything you talked and it won't work if you have hate and malice towards a person in your heart. More than any other characteristic, with the exception of faith, I believe the number one thing related to prayer that keeps people from experiencing answered prayer is unforgiveness that sits in their hearts. Well, you don't know what they said to me. You're right, I don't. And I'm sorry that they did, but let it go. Well, you don't know what they did to me when I was just a child and, and nothing like that should have ever been done to a child. And you're right. And, I, and, I, and my heart bleeds for you and my prayer goes out to you, but let it go. A lot easier said than done, not suggesting that it isn't, but there is an absolute connection to experiencing God and answered prayer and unforgiveness. Mark chapter 11, verses 24 and 25, the Bible says, I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe what you have received, it will be yours. But when you are praying first, first, forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. That's the Bible. I didn't just come across and make that up. It's the Bible. He said it, not me. Don't like it? Don't shoot the messenger. The reality is if you do not forgive some folks, now, there's, now here's some more debate. If you, some of your Bibles you might go from 24, 25 to 27. Seems like verse 26 is missing. Because in some translations, 26 says that if you do not forgive, neither will your father forgive you. Now, some translations have removed it. Some have kept it. There's some debate as to whether it was ever actually spoken, but it doesn't make a difference whether that verse 26 is actually there because it's already referenced in 25 when he says, first, forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven can forgive you, which would suggest if I am holding a grudge and not forgiving, God's not forgiving me. Bitterness towards others 
will stop the flow of God's promises in your life. Perfect example. First Peter talked about treating women and wives with respect. You're married, you disrespect your spouse, it's a good chance you're not hearing from God. Let me just say it like that. And I am married, and I have been that way for 17 plus years, and there have been more than one occasion when I've disrespected my spouse, and more than one occasion that I was absolutely wrong and not experiencing God the way I needed to. Because according to the Bible, in my marriage, and for you who are single, get this now, especially you men. Love your wife the way Christ loved the church. He gave himself for her. Jesus suffered and died on a cross, bled and suffered an enormous amount of pain, both mentally, physically, and emotionally, for the church. That's how we're supposed to love our wives, men. Let me just, if you're not married, let me help you out. Don't get married if you can't commit that way. Now, I'm not saying that it's going to be easy, because I serve, I have a wonderful, wonderful wife who's absolutely my better half that also drives me flipping nuts. But I love her and I will die for her. Sometimes I don't show that as well as other times. But that's the reality. And so if we are bitter or we mistreat people or we have this unforgiveness, because you go through marriage, you've been married as long as I have, we've done some things to one another that we've had to forgive each other for. And there have been times when I have prayed that, and I've been trying to seek God, but I, I'm not feeling some, something's missing. And then uh, it'll come to my mind, oh, wait a minute. My wife and I had this little thing, and I'm holding it against her. And then I have to go and seek her forgiveness. I'm, I'm, I just, please forgive me. I, I, I'm, I'm holding on to this, and I haven't forgiven you. I, I want to forgive you. That's a, that's a crazy-looking conversation. Hey, I want to forgive you for something that you did. And she's going to be like, what did I what did but the reality is when we hold on to those things and those bitterness, it stops the flow of God's promises. Number two, man, I spent a lot of time on that one. That's an important one. Number two, you must be willing to share the results. Here we go. This is going to hit you some, somewhere where you don't like it. God's motivation to bless you and answer your prayer is not just for you. Can we get off of that train? It's not just for you, but it's also to make you a blessing for others. Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, I will make you into a great nation, God said to Abraham. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I'm not blessing you to make you famous so that you can be a famous. I'm blessing you so that you can be a blessing to other folks. Need more? Proverbs chapter 21, verse 13. Those who shut their ears to the cries of the poor will be ignored in their own time of need. Whoo. Let me tell you something. You shut your ears to the cries of the poor, that means you shut your wallet off to their needs. And you shut your wallet off to their needs, God will shut his wallet off to your needs when you need it. That's the point. He will get, I say it all the time, he will get it to you if he can get it through you. He knows that if you'll give it, he'll keep on, you will be a conduit of stuff just flowing. You need money, he'll, you'll be a conduit. It's coming. Why? Because you, you live like this. Not like this, like this, not like this, like this, not like this. You live like this, there's going to come a time when you need and it ain't going to be there. You live like this, you'll never need. God wants, us to, wants to bless us but expects us to give something back. Finances, health, time, he wants us to use it. James chapter 4 verse 3 even said, and even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. 
That's just real. The Bible is just very real. We only want what will give us pleasure. That's what we ask for. I mean, after all, that's what we want, right? We all want pleasure in life. We want good health because that'll bring us pleasure. We want 55-inch screen TVs because that'll give us pleasure. We want cars and houses and money. And we want all, because after all, this is what's going to give us pleasure. And when our motives are motive, when we're motivated by those types of asks, you don't get it because your motives are wrong. If you want God to answer your prayer, you must be willing to be a channel of blessing to other people. You have to. And it's not even one of those things you're speaking. Oh, I, God, you bless me and I'm going to bless others. No. You bless others with what you don't have and then he'll get it to you. That's how that works. It doesn't say, okay, if God, if you give it all to me, then I will give it. You want to know why believers, there are some believers out there with a whole lot of money and stuff? Because they've been giving it since before they ever had it. That's the difference. I, that's what I teach my children. You, you, matter of fact, according to Proverbs 21 verse 13, I just read it. Those who shut their ears to the cries of the poor will be ignored in their own time of need. Someone asked me once, do you really think I can give my way out of my struggle financially? You know what my answer is? Yes, you absolutely can. Because if you're opening up your heart to God and giving him what he already owns anyway and seeing that your hands are open, he's just going to, you're going to give it and it's going to fill back up. And that's how that's going to work. But you have to believe and know that you're sharing the results. Number three, you must believe that God will answer. You have to believe that God will answer. Simply put, you cannot doubt. You can't please God without faith. The Bible said it is impossible to please God without faith. That means you have to believe. We talked about what is faith. faith is, is, is faith believing that God can do it? No, that's not faith. Is faith believing that he might do it? No, that's not faith. Faith is believing that he will do it. Not that he can do it, or that he might do it, but that he will do it. That's the difference. Sounds like a play on words, and you're right, in some context it is, but every word has perspective. Might and will are very different words. If I tell my child, I might take you to the store, there's a good chance they think we're not going. Or I can take you to the store, means I'm physically capable of it. But I will take you to the store is my word saying I'll take you where you want to go. There's a big difference between those three words. And it's all about your faith in that moment. You have to believe that God will do it. James chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Hello. I asked you the question in the beginning, does God answer every prayer? No. According to James, if you don't ask it with faith, you're not going to receive. When you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. That phrase, do not waver, suggests that there may be a span of time between your asking and his, him answering. Or his, your asking and his moving. There could be a span of time there. So he's saying, don't waver. Because if you waver, if you believe, if you come to me and you believe, but then 
two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, three months, four months, five months, eight months, two years, three years, five years down the road, you're not seeing it the way you expected. Now you're like, oh, well, you know what? I tried that God thing and you've done wavered. Now you'll never see it because that's how that works. Never waver. Faith is not something you have in a moment. Faith is something that you have in a, as a, a lifetime. I know folks, I've said this before, who've prayed for the salvation of loved ones for 25, 35, and 40 years. Never wavering. Growing tired from time to time. Getting frustrated and irritated from time to time, no doubt, but not wavering. Got two more I want to share with you. I love this one. You must pray in Jesus' name. Why? Because it reminds you why you have the right to pray in the first place. Why do I say in the name of Jesus? Why do we say by the blood and the power of Jesus? Because it reminds us that we have the right to pray in the first place. We pray to the Father in Jesus' name. Can't just name it and claim it. Oh, I claim this because it's mine. No, I have this because Jesus died for me. And he died for this promise. See, here's the thing we don't connect. We see these 7,000 plus promises of God, but we don't connect those 7,000 plus promises to the one promise of salvation in Christ. Oh, well, God, you promised me all this. Well, every one of those are connected to the blood of Jesus. Every one of those are connected to the wounds of Jesus. Every one of those are connected to the resurrection of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. We can only have what Jesus provided, and Jesus paved the way and paid the price. According to John chapter 14, 13 and 14, he says, you can ask, Jesus said, you can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Not I can or I might, I will do it. The fact is, if you have met the conditions of Scripture And you have, as far as you know, no unforgiveness towards anyone. You're willing to share the results of other people. And that's only, the willingness to share is only found when you don't have, not when you have. You can't say, oh yeah, I'm willing, but you don't share now. You can't say, oh now, oh yeah, now I'm willing, but I don't give when the time is offered to me to give. My time, my money, everything, my talent, everything that I have. If I don't give it, then I'm not willing. But if you've gotten yourself to that point that you're willing and you're asking God in faith and expecting it and you've prayed in Jesus' name, you have every right to expect God to answer. Every right to expect God to answer. But there's one more condition. And this usually is the deal breaker for many. One more condition. You must have an honest relationship with God. Don't tell me that you met these four, but the fifth one, you kind of waver on. The fifth one, you know, I kind of I like my life, so I kind of want to live halfway out here and halfway out here. And then somehow I figure on some days I'll fall this way and on some days I'll fall that way and I'm going to be all right. That's not how you hear from God. That is not how you receive promises from God. Only by having a relationship, an honest one. John 15, 7 says, but if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. If you remain in me and I remain in you. Condition. 
conditioned to hearing God speak into your life. This is not popular preaching. I understand that. But it is no doubt the absolute truth. It is no doubt the absolute truth. The truth is not popular. Because the truth hurts. The truth cuts. The truth reveals. The truth divides. The truth, but here's the thing that people don't realize. The truth also sets you free. Man, the truth sets everybody wandering around. And even in the church today that are not hearing the truth, whether they're unsaved or saved or they're in the church or they're out of the church, if they're not hearing the truth, they are not free. It's the bottom line. This is the big mistake that we make in prayer. Constantly saying, God, it is your, is it your will? The real issue is not God, is it, is it your will? The real issue is, am I in your will? So get rid of the language, it is your will, but say, God, am I in your will? Remember I said, this is introspection time. Let's look at ourselves. How we doing? How we living? Because it's directly connected to how and what, receiving what we need in the promises of God. Is my life in harmony with God? Because if your life is in harmony, guess what else will be in harmony? All your desires. Mm. St. Augustine said, love God and do what you please. It's been used as an anthem to love God and do whatever I want with my life. Because they just take a piece of it and say, this is my anthem for life. But the question is, why did he say that? If you find the quote online and read the rest of the story, it's because he says, if you really love God with all your heart, you're, not going, to, you're going to want to do what pleases him. 